This podcast may contain mature content, strong language and spoilers. Hello and welcome to episode 62 of the HD Movie Podcast. I'm Darren Gaskell. And I'm Hayley Alice Roberts and this week we are back in the realm of the Die Hard franchise saga. We're on the fourth movie which, surprise surprise, is Die Hard 4.0. Isn't really the title that it was meant to be but in the UK we didn't understand what Mary Lamb's motto would be so... This one isn't called Live Free or Die Hard in the UK, it's Die Hard 4.0. So with me babbling on about it, let's get on and talk about the movie instead. So, we're back on the Die Hard trail. We're now up to the fourth of five Die Hard movies and this episode we're covering Die Hard 4.0 which was released in 2007 and was directed by Len Wiseman. So the plot of Die Hard 4.0, this synopsis is written by film underscore fan on IMDb. Twelve years after John McClane stopped Simon Gruber, he's back with a problem which is going to be more difficult and personal than ever before an organisation of internet-based terrorists led by Thomas Gabriel. They are taking control of everything in America from their computers and slowly taking over the country. Accompanied by Matthew Farrell, one of the hackers who accidentally assisted the villains in setting up the system, McLean must both find Gabriel and help prevent him from taking over America completely. Gabriel knows McLean's on his way and will make it as personal as possible, which means involving McLean's daughter Lucy. Yeah, it does involve McLean's daughter Lucy and good casting for McLean's daughter Lucy because it's Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who I think is brilliant in pretty much everything. Unfortunately for Mary Elizabeth Winstead and unfortunately for the audience, she is given the sum total of fuck all to do in this movie. She is so wasted in this. You get somebody like this in a movie. She appears at the start. She's kind of kicking about about two thirds in and she's in at the end but they really do give her absolutely zilch to do. Yeah, she's not the best written character at all. And I think the fact that they're trying to raise the stakes in this, we see her kind of take the Holly McLean role, or Holly Gennaro, whichever you want to go with. We see her taking that role in this film where she's going to be the person who's in danger that McLean has to go and save in the end. But we literally get a scene at the beginning with her which sees overprotective dad McLean catch her in a tryst with a boyfriend or not her boyfriend in a car. And there's just that kind of thing where she's a bit like embarrassed by her father and doesn't really want to know him at that point. And then we don't see her at all until she is stuck in a lift, which has been orchestrated by the terrorists and then eventually kidnapped and used as a pawn for McLean to kind of come and rescue her. And that is literally all her role is. And she's, pretty much just boy crazy that's the only way i can describe her like that's that's all she really does in this movie 
yeah, she's not well written. And I think we could have done with, you know, a better written female character for the Die Hard franchise. But this was 2007. And I think if this had been written now, it might have been, um, there might have been an improvement with it. While we're on the subject of Lucy McLean, other actresses that auditioned or considered for the part, we had Britney Spears auditioned for the role. Also, her pop counterpart, Jessica Simpson, she also auditioned. And the other actress considered for the role was Ruma Willis, which obviously would have made things a lot more authentic as she is Bruce's real-life daughter. But I think Mary Elizabeth Winstead is a great casting choice. She is a brilliant actress. You just don't get to see how good she is in this movie, unfortunately. She was fresh off the back of Final Destination 3, I believe, when she did this. But she's gone on to do so many great movies. So I'm a big fan of her. So again, for me, I was quite disappointed that she didn't get enough of a role in this film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ruma Willis, yeah. Could have seen Ruma Willis doing that. She's pretty good. Brittany and Jessica Simpson, I think they're a little bit too clean cut. And I don't think you'd get somebody like that being John McClane's daughter. And this is no disrespect to either Brittany or Jessica Simpson, but I think they're a little bit too bubbly in their personas to be in this role. Mary Elizabeth Winstead's got a bit of darkness about her, even though she's quite wisecracking in this as well. She's almost as wisecracking as John McClane in this, because one of the things that this movie doesn't do is it really doesn't double down on the McLean wisecracks this time. He's more worn down by the world, he's more cynical, he's more weary. And that in itself isn't a bad thing, but there's something about this movie that it doesn't seem fun at all. The one thing about the other Die Hard movies up to this point is that even though it's dealing with quite serious stuff and there's quite big emotional beats in there, there is a sense of fun about all three movies. This one... The setup is really good and it's quite dark and it's a kind of a what-if scenario if there was a massive cyber attack on the States. And it's fun to have somebody like McLean, who's a bit of a Luddite and a technophobe, being thrown into this situation and trying to use his very non-technical skills to get through it. But at the same time, there's something about it that it's kind of joyless, this movie, despite the fact that it's really well made. And a couple of the action sequences are really, really good. It leaves me really cold, this movie. Having come to it again after a few years, it's not quite as terrible as I believed it was when I first saw it in the cinema. I fucking hated this movie when I saw it in the cinema. I just thought, what have they done to the franchise? I think with a bit more perspective and a bit more distance and the fact that there's been so much generic action stuff since then, it stands up okay as an action movie, but it just doesn't seem a die-hard movie at the same time. I know exactly what you mean. I did enjoy the film. There was nothing particularly wrong with it, but again, it just doesn't live up to the brilliance of the first three films. There's been a lot of distance, obviously, between the uh, Die Hard with Vengeance and this film. And of course, there's a bit of a jump in age for McLean as well. So I think it's interesting to see him handle this situation, something that he's not an expert at with the whole technology aspect of the film. But again, for me, what let it down was I didn't find the villain in this film played by uh, Timothy Oliphant, um, who again, I think is a great actor. I really do enjoy him. Um, he's 
been in Scream 2 and because I love his performance in Scream 2, I was expecting something of that ilk in this, but he just seemed a bit more vacant and it just, he didn't have the presence of like a Hans Gruber or Simon Gruber. And I know obviously they are played by, you know, some of the most iconic actors, you know, in the world, but I just don't, I, something just didn't hit right with the villain in this. He was just too generic. There was just nothing much going on with him. But I think the concept itself was terrifying and I, I liked how it raised stakes. And of course, when you've got this happening and someone like John McClane, who isn't familiar with technology, you think, how is he going to like save everyone from this scenario like he has in the past? And so I think it's clever how it raises the stakes there. But otherwise, I know what you mean. It just, it just felt, it didn't feel like Die Hard. And I think a lot of people might agree with that as fans of the franchise. So I'll get into a little bit of background about the movie as well. So this film was actually based on an article called called A Farewell to Arms by John Carlin and other works that he's produced. He wrote the novel that inspired the film Invictus, which was about Nelson Mandela. So if you listen to our previous episode, uh, I'm going to crash. Okay, are we back? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, so I think Thomas Gabriel was at work there and actually crashed our system because he didn't appreciate my criticism that he is not up there with the other diehard villains. So sorry, Thomas Gabriel, please let us get through this podcast um, as we still have very much <laughs> lots to say about Die Hard 4.0. <laughs> okay, so as I said, um, if you listen to our previous episode, I think that's quite a spooky tie-in that there's the author of this article inspired this film also wrote a work on Nelson Mandela who died in 2013 in case you're wondering right back to Die Hard 4 so it was initially planned for a 1997 release so it would have come like two years after Die Hard with a Vengeance and the script for Tears of the Sun was initially going to be adapted into the fourth Die Hard installment because Bruce Willis loved the premise so much but then, like many projects in Hollywood, Tears of the Sun became stuck in development hell and never produced as a Die Hard film. One of the scripts for Die Hard 3 was actually going to be set in a jungle environment. It's very much like Tears of the Sun. So, so that premise for Die Hard 3 could have um, been obviously released a lot earlier if they'd gone down that route. But Bruce Willis loved the title so much that he requested for it to be the title of one of his latest action movies in exchange for starring in another Die Hard film. And then, of course, Tears of the Sun, starring Bruce Willis, was released in 2003. The plot line then for 4.0 was based on an earlier script called WW3.com, which was by the Enemy of the State screenwriter David Marconi. And then the film was further put on hold following the events of 9-11, you know, most appropriately, mm. before eventually being rewritten into Live Free or Die Hard. And the reason that the UK have taken the title 4.0 is because the film's theme centres on cyber-terrorism. Yep, and of course that we, we're not familiar with the state motto for Maryland either, which, you know, why should we be? You know, it's, it's over the pond. Not everybody knows Maryland. I've been to Washington, D.C., so I know quite a lot of the locations. There. It's a very nice city if you want to go there. Back to Die Hard 4. This is the first Die Hard that was PG-13 in the States. And I think a lot of the movie's problems stem from the low rating because you get very little bad language and a lot of the violence seems to be cutaways or edits. So you don't get that 
visceral thrill of the other three Die Hard movies, the violence has much less impact. And I think that's a problem because Die Hard is not for kids. And to make a movie that's aimed at teenagers. Now, I'm not saying you should shut all kids out of action movies, but Die Hard is a specifically adult action franchise. And when I found out that it was PG-13 in the States, I just thought, oh, bloody hell, this is going to be bad. Now, it's not as bad as it could have been, but all the impact of the action is pretty much taken away. There's very brief shots of people getting done away with. And whereas in some of the other movies, it was made into a spectacular set piece or it was done as part of a very dark joke, you don't get that in this movie because they're constantly creeping around the fact that they can't show an awful lot of violence. And one of the chief motifs of Die Hard, especially the first one, is the foul language. The foul language is used to really good comic effect. Here, it's all gone, pretty much. So you don't get that buzz of the sweary exchanges that you have between people. Now, I'm not saying swearing is big or clever, but in Die Hard's case, swearing's very big and it's very clever. And to take it out of this movie, it's kind of hindering it before it's even started. Yeah, I think with swearing in a lot of adult movies, it is definitely, you know, within the context. And it, if it's cleverly written, it really does work. And sometimes you've got to swear. You know, sometimes if something really pisses you off and you're in a podcast and you want to have a rant, you know, swearing is completely acceptable. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I agree with you that the PG-13 rating did hinder the movie. As you say, it's very, like, quick shots, cutaways. Um, you see, like, someone maybe getting shot in a part of their body, but it's very brief, so you don't really get to see much of the impact of it. Bruce Willis himself was unhappy with the PG-13 rating, the studio meddling, but he said that's how it is nowadays. The studio just meddles with everything. He would have preferred it to have had the same level of violence as the original one, because he said that was what was so great about Die Hard. So even the main star of the movie is unhappy with how this turned out. And of course, PG-13 over in uh, States, but over in the UK, it was 15, um, again, to reach a broader audience, to get the teenagers in. But I think the teenagers themselves would probably been really disappointed with the lack of violence, because they're probably thinking, oh, this is awesome, I get to go see a Die Hard movie in the cinema but it doesn't deliver what they're going to expect. So it was probably a bit disappointing. And again, as we've talked about, I think very much the diehards, they're very much old school 18 films, like 18 films now are going to be a lot gorier and a lot more violent than they were back then. But it's like that classic old school. And I think going into 2007, I think they could have pushed the envelope a little bit more with, with the gratuity in this film. So it is kind of a shame. I think there is a cut of it which has more of the violent scenes intact but it, the way it's been released it has just been released as this pg-13 slash 15 rating yeah unfortunately it's very weak beer indeed for a diehard movie i mean i'm not saying that violence makes the movie but yeah it's right it's a question of impact and the weird thing is that whereas the original movie and its predecessors were a bit more cartoony in the violence it has this weird effect where, because you're not seeing a lot of the violence, it's got this kind of weird numbing effect on you because you see people get shot, but you don't see the effects of it. 
So it's just kind of like line them up, shoot them down, this movie. And that's weirdly quite dangerous for a sort of teen-friendly movie because you're not really seeing the consequences of much of the violence. I mean, there's a couple of decent action set pieces. There's a very good fight in an elevator shaft with Bruce Willis and Maggie Q. That's probably the highlight of the movie. But even that, they are kind of pulling their punches, quite literally, in some places in that fight. So you just get this feeling of it's neither one thing nor the other. We're back to Kazam, but we're in, we're in <laughs> diehard territory. This is neither one thing or the other. It's not, it's not a real diehard movie, but it's not something that's palatable enough for younger kids to see because the plot's quite adult and there is enough violence that you would think, well, I don't want my kid to see this. Yeah, it's a tricky one, isn't it? They just haven't achieved the balance right, I don't think. And, you know, I get the sentiment was there. They just wanted to be able to offer this movie out there to younger audiences. But it doesn't really work. And if you think back to horror movies that are rated 15, you still get, you know, the impact of the gore and violence in those films. So I don't see what the difference is here. They could have gone that little bit further and just, you know, shown a few more seconds of the impact of the shootings and that. And that would have just, you know, given it that bit more elevation. But again, it's, you know, it's a, a decent film. And there's plenty to like about it. As you said, the Maggie Q action sequence, I really enjoyed that. And I was thinking about it. And I, I'm just thinking she could have been better as the predominant villain in this film. I think they should have just you know, had a female, strong female villain in it, and she would have fit the bill, I think, because she was more intimidating, obviously, physically and mentally as well, towards John McClane. So I think, yeah, they should have just scrapped the whole Thomas Gabriel thing. Do not crash this Zoom, Thomas Gabriel. (laughs) (laughs) So I say this, but I I think that would have been a a better route to go down. No, that's fair enough. I mean, Maggie Q's much more impactful as a character than Timothy Oliphant, and it's nothing to do with the performers themselves. It's the writing. She's a very kick-ass villain, whereas Thomas Gabriel, yes, he's got to sit in the background because he's a bit of a hacker. He's not physically imposing, but he's not also that much of a threat, really. I mean, he might hint that he's going to do something nasty, but even when he's going after McLean's daughter, you don't really feel that sense of threat with him, which is a bit of a shame really so you're right i think if they'd have had maggie q's character as the main villain i think it would have at least given you somebody to properly root against but doesn't happen i'm a little bit iffy about their treatment of maggie q's character in general there are a couple of lines said about her which really didn't sit properly with me I mean, I know it was back in 2007, but even back then, I do remember sitting in the cinema and thinking, yeah, that's not cool as a line. You know, you could have said something else about a character than just calling her. And I'm very sorry for using this phrase in this podcast. This is just for demonstration purposes. But at one point, for pretty much no reason at all other than they want to have McLean spout something after some incident he calls her an asian bitch it's like really really do we need that i don't think we do yeah it was uncalled for and considering that mclean is our hero and we're supposed to root for him it's like that's really not cool and are we supposed to take it as he has outdated views on things and that he's like older now and 
yeah, I, d I just don't know if that was completely necessary at all. Uh, you know, there could have been something cleverer. They didn't have to pick on her ethnicity or the fact that she's a female or anything like that. They that didn't need it. I think he kind of does meet his match with her because, you know, she is pretty kick-ass. I think she's taken out too soon in this film as well. So I was actually surprised, like, how quickly that she perishes, really. It's a shame because I, I really enjoyed her character. And again, she was more threatening to me than uh, Thomas Gabriel. And of course, in this film as well, it doesn't have the high quality standard of the double act that they had in Die Hard with the Vengeance between Bruce Willis and Samuel L. Jackson. So this time he teams up with Matt Farrell, played by Justin Long, who is a hacker. Again, the performance is fine. They do have a dynamic between them, but it's just not up there with the previous film. There's definitely a kind of father-son tone to their relationship. And I think that's because originally it was going to be written as his son was going to be the main hacker and he had to go and rescue him. But then they changed that in favour to have Matt Farrell as a character. The director, Len Wiseman, wanted Scott Speedman in the role, but Bruce Willis wanted Ben Affleck to play the part because um, how they'd worked together on Armageddon and the chemistry was already there. So again, that's again interesting for casting. I think Justin Long is great because um, you can imagine him being that sort of tech nerd and you know he's believable in that part and then of course we have Kevin Smith in this as well which is kind of like I would never expected you know to say Kevin Smith and Die Hard in the same sentence but plays the warlock and again he's this like ultra hacker nerd who's like you know there to save the day in the background so I suppose it's this juxtaposition of you've got John McClane who's this big action hero having to team up with these geeky men who I guess, you know, they're the brains behind the brawn. I think that's what it's trying to signify. But yeah, I think it's it's different and it's more modern and that's fine. But it's just it's just different. It just doesn't feel in the same tone as the other movies. Yeah, I mean it's a fun idea having him team up with these ultra nerds. And Justin Long is pretty good in his role. I think he's more suitable than Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck is too physically imposing and too I'm not going to say weird, but there's something behind the eyes in Ben Affleck, whereas Justin Long is this very kind of sweet, innocent, nerdy character. Ben Affleck is too dark as a character, and he doesn't seem like a hacker to me, so I think it's better casting. And the idea in itself is pretty decent, but for some reason it doesn't quite fire as much as the other double acts because it's mostly... Bruce Willis's character berating Justin Long's character for like either being a nerd or out of touch or not understanding that sometimes you need to solve things by shooting a lot of people and blowing stuff up. It's just an odd movie because looking at the concept of it, you'd think this is going to work really, really well. And everything about it is put together with a lot of care. It looks great. They obviously spent a ton of money on it. And generally everything holds up. I think the CGI bit at the end with the plane and the truck is a little bit creaky now. And it's stupid as well. <laughs> but as a movie, if you'd have gone into that as a standard action movie and come out of it, you'd have thought, you know what, that was all right. Yeah, I quite enjoyed that. But the problem is it's a diehard movie and the bar is set so much higher for these movies. So you come out thinking, well... Did it work as a Die Hard movie? I'm not sure it did. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think the problem is it has so much to live up to with it being attached to the Die Hard legacy. 
but if it was just your standard action movie new characters it would have you know probably had a different response but again it's it's fine but i didn't feel as excited for it like i did the uh, older movies and whether that is just me just being a bit pedantic about it all well, i don't know but yeah it, it's it's fine like that's all i can say it was fine i did enjoy it it was a, a good you know movie to watch late on a friday night it definitely has that quality to it but it just wasn't die hard to me i think that is kind of what we're both getting at yeah yeah it's not terrible and it's far from terrible i mean there are loads of action movies out there that just fall way short of this in terms of spectacle. But there is something missing. The heart's gone from this one for some yeah. reason. But I do apologise to the guy who I met at a party several years ago and almost convinced that Die Hard 4 did not exist. I think that was mean of me. Yeah, so Darren here created his own Mandela effect which could have really just messed someone's head up. Yeah, <laughs> so I, yeah I'd, I'd, it wasn't long after I'd seen the movie and I was in a party and there was a guy who had seen it and said, oh, have you seen the new Die Hard movie? And I was like, oh, which one's that? And he said, oh, it's like Die Hard 4. And I was like, no, there is no fourth Die Hard movie. And the guy was like... Uh, are you sure? I'm sure it was a Die Hard movie. And I was like, oh, no, no, the, the, you know, there's the one in the skyscraper there's the one at the airport, and then there's one when they're going around New York, and that's it. And he was like, well, there was Bruce Willis was in it. And I was like, are you absolutely sure there was a Die Hard 4? And this guy was, like, starting to question himself. Because, to be honest, I'd not had a good time with Die Hard 4 at cinema, and I was just being an arsehole, basically. I am a terrible person. And this guy was really questioning his own sanity by the end of it. He was like, I'm sure it was Die Hard 4. I said, well, it might have been an action movie with Bruce Willis and stuff, but there is only three Die Hard movies out there. And this guy was genuinely confused by the end of the conversation. In the end, somebody did actually take him to one side and said, you know, he obviously doesn't like Die Hard 4. He's just being a dickhead about it. I was being a dickhead about it. I do apologise to that guy on this podcast. It was a really horrible thing to do. I was just annoyed about Die Hard 4 and I shouldn't really have taken anything out on him. I am a dreadful, dreadful person. I hope he's listening in and uh, hears that heartfelt apology there. But yeah, it just goes to show the power of persuasion there, how you can just like make out something that is real, not to be real. Yeah, we, we've just gone very, very kind of Mandela effect crazy on this podcast. But, you know, bringing it back in. Yeah, as I say, I think that that is the thing with this film. It easily could have not been a diehard film, but it is. And we have to accept that it's part of the franchise. I didn't hate it. I'm not saying that by any means. I did enjoy it as a film, but it just wasn't as good and as thrilling as the previous installments. Exactly. So, there were rumours at one point that Samuel L. Jackson was going to return as Zeus. I don't know how he would have fit into this film as such. It might have been too much having both McLean and Zeus and Matt Farrell all at the same time. I think there, it would have just been a bit too clunky with obviously the dialogue and the set pieces and everything that it contains. So, yeah. And this is the first Die Hard movie that makes no reference to the events of the Nakatomi Plaza back in 1988. So it doesn't even reference its, you know, greatest point of reference, basically. And um, it's the first Die Hard movie to be set in multiple locations, which I think that's good because it's nice to move away from the formula 
but safely have things in place that, you know, is recognisably diehard. So that isn't a bad thing at all. And I really did like the sequences in it where Gabriel puts out this video where it's cut together of all the presidents of the United States and it's like done as this threatening message. I thought that was really, really clever. And then there's a bit where he televises the uh, building getting taken down. That was pretty terrifying. And then McLean's running out and realises it's all been a hoax. So it's really kind of frightening how the internet is a lie, basically. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, there's stuff in it that's really good. There's certain sequences in there that stand out on their own. And it hangs together as a whole as a film. It just doesn't really spark the same sort of emotion as the other Die Hard movies for me. And they're trying to crowbar references in as well. At one point, they have a special agent who's called Johnson. Yes, it's a nice little callback to the first movie. But again, it just seems thrown in at the same time. Finally, they do get Holly Gennaro out of this. He is divorced in this movie because obviously Bonnie Bedelia really didn't want to come back for a third one. So they've finally got him divorced. So they've sorted that out. But I don't know. It's it's fine. It's an okay movie. Even pretty good in some places. But you have to come back to the point that it's a diehard movie and there are certain expectations of a diehard movie and it doesn't meet all of those. The chief suspect in this is yippee motherfucker. Now, it's a PG-13, so how do you get motherfucker in a PG-13 movie? Well, what you do is you don't actually get him to say it, or you do get him to say it, but you have a gunshot which masks the last bit of the phrase. No, that is not on. If I want to hear yippee motherfucker, it's got to be 100% of the phrase. I don't think that it's clever to mask it with a gunshot. No, no, I want the whole sentence. And for him to wuss out on it, yes, I know there are problems with censorship in America, specifically with that word, but no, if it's a diehard movie, I need to hear yippee motherfucker in its entirety at least once. And to, con- to consider that it's been 12 years since we've last heard that line, long gap in between these movies and this would have been highly anticipated McLean was back it was 2007 complete new decade what exciting times have we got in store here and you're waiting and waiting and it's towards the end of the movie where he's about to defeat Thomas Gabriel and as you say it's just so anticlimactic it does not hit the same note that it did in the previous movies and you're waiting for it and that line you know it's synonymous with Die Hard it needs to be there as you say in its entirety yeah, very, very disappointing. And um, not that I've watched the fifth one yet, but I'm guessing they wanted to claw back what the impact they lost from this movie. So we're going to see how that goes down. So I hope the line is intact in that one. <laughs> I'm not giving anything away yet about Die Hard 5. No, I'm looking forward to this episode anyway, <laughs> when we eventually get around to it. So Die Hard 4.0 or Live Free or Die Hard debuted at number two at the box office behind Pixar's Ratatouille. <laughs> you see, that's a kick in the balls, that. I mean, Die Hard movie coming. So, I mean, not to take anything away from Ratatouille, it's a good movie, but I guess that's not really what they expected when it came out. It's a bit of a contrast. <laughs> yeah, basically, a um, animated rat kicked John McClane's ass in the box office this time around. So comparing to um, Die Hard of the Vengeance, which was the highest-grossing movie of 1995, Die Hard 4.0 was 
the 12th highest grossing film of 2007, and it grossed $383.5 million worldwide. So that's just everything taken into account. You know, it did okay. Yeah. Yeah, you know, coming at number two, that's not bad at all. But it's not the standard that Die Hard has often been accustomed to in the past. But then looking at the ratings now on IMDb, it has a 7.1 out of 10. And then on Rotten Tomatoes, it has an 82% tomato meter and an 86% audience score, which is actually slightly more than Die Hard with a Vengeance. Which is slightly surprising. I guess if you've got a more modern audience, I think they would hook into the internet type of plot better mm. than the charging around Manhattan, two grumpy old guys doing stuff. Um, but... I don't know. It's I can understand why people enjoy Die Hard 4. I do, really. But it just doesn't hit any of the marks for me. I can see why it's gained in popularity over the years. Because I guess the technology hasn't dated all that much. Because they don't delve too far into the servers and the internet side of things. They just give you enough but they don't leave themselves open for loads of IT people going, oh, no, that'd never happen. So it's clever in that way. And I think it's more of a forward-thinking action movie than just a sort of slam-bang first three. But I want the slam-bang stuff. I don't really care about the internet plot, as good as it is. I just want to see John McClane swearing and shooting bad guys, of which he does very little in this movie. It's disappointingly low on violence and it's incredibly low on swearing yeah i did like the internet plot I, as i say mm. i think it really did raise the stakes and the concept of it is utterly terrifying if that really happened that would just it was just you know it just leaves you with that sense of no hope and that somebody can control all this from a computer like the whole thing of it it's, it's very well done i think yeah. and it's it, it stands up as a very solid thriller i think but yeah again and it's very strange how it's scored higher than die hard 2 as well i'm really surprised at this people just really clearly enjoyed this movie and i guess as you say it could be more to do with that internet plotline and taking it more into the 21st century yeah and i think die hard 2 the problem with that is you're coming off the back of one of the best action movies of all time so Die Hard yeah. 2 is on a hiding to nothing. And to be perfectly honest, I wasn't sure about Die Hard 2 when I first saw it. The more I've seen it, the more I realise that Die Hard 2 is a damn good movie. But I think that instant reaction for Die Hard 2 is like, it isn't the first one. Clearly it isn't the first one. But what I like about the Die Hard franchise, successful or not, is it does open things out. The pleasing thing about the fourth one, as you say, it is in multiple locations. They've tried to make it bigger in scope. In fact, it's all across America in terms of the cyber plot. So it's massively bigger in scope. It's just that I'm a big Die Hard fan and this just doesn't feel 100% Die Hard to me. Even though it's got all the elements that you would want, it just doesn't feel right somehow. Yes, they've amped up the action, but they've kind of also amped up the stupidity as well. Because in a, in a fairly chilling scenario about a cyber attack, which is plausible and quite frightening, you do get McLean in a truck versus a jet plane who's firing missiles at him 
on a, a, a ramp going up this sort of highway thing. At the time, they probably thought we need a big, big action movie sequence to round everything off. And it is, and it's big and it's destructive and things are collapsing and there's explosions and there's cars falling off roads and things. But it's dumb as shit, the last bit. And at the end of it, McLean manages to sort of avoid missiles and all sorts of stuff and fall out of the truck and slide down this bit of broken road. And the stupidest thing for me was he slides down this bit of road, gets onto this patch of land and still manages to see the van that his daughter's been kidnapped in, pulling into a warehouse in the distance. It's like, oh, fuck off. It's like, no, I'm willing to suspend some disbelief, but the amount of time that he's spent with that truck being chased by the plane, there'd have been miles, he'd have never seen him going into that warehouse. And at the end, it was like, no, I'm, it's kind of out of goodwill at this point. And it was the point at which I thought, you know what, I've stuck with this, and I've actually reasonably enjoyed it so far. But that, it's a step too far, even for a diehard movie. It's absolutely dumb as a bag of hammers, that bit. I cannot stress how idiotic that plot development is. And we broke again there as well, right in the middle of my rant. Fuck you, elephants! <laughs> Yeah, it's very apt that we are um, recording an episode on Die Hard 4.0 and we are getting cut off by Zoom. But, you know, this isn't the first time Zoom. We just don't often talk about it in this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. That that scene is so overly contrived and you know that McLean's going to survive this movie. I mean, it would be more of a shock if he didn't. And to put him in that situation where they're just, like, throwing everything at him, like, basically expecting like oh how's he going to get out of this like sticky situation even the pilot of the uh, plane you know gets out and um you know manages to eject himself and then not land on a parachute it's all you know all very nicely tied up in a very implausible fashion that is the point where the movie just becomes overly cheesy and then some of the lines are really cheesy between um oliphant and mary elizabeth winstead and and then, of course, you know, we just get the anticlimax, which is yippee ki yay, mother bang. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it makes it sound like I hate this movie, and I don't hate this movie, but there's enough about it that just makes me think it's not that much of a worthy successor to the first three. I don't think it's dreadful, but I really don't think it's the sort of thing, in, certainly in the terms of Die Hard franchise, that I'm going to go back and watch an awful lot. I've lost count of the number of times I've watched the first three. This one, I think I've probably seen it maybe three times and I've no real desire to go and watch it a fourth time. It's fine. It's there. Just doesn't do anything for me, unfortunately. Yeah, it's generally a decent movie, but it's not up there with the other three. And I think because the first Die Hard is such a tough act to follow and then bringing it into a new decade, they did their absolute best with it, but elements didn't work. Again, it's a good movie to watch, you know, as you say, like once or twice, but it's not one that has that rewatchability of especially the first Die Hard film. And to end on this note, it's also not a Christmas movie, in case you were wondering. It's not, unfortunately. So that's another point against Die Hard 4. I'm not going to say don't go and watch it because there's a lot to recommend it. It's really well put together, but... Is it a Die Hard movie? Well, it's clearly a Die Hard movie from the title, but 
Does it tick all the boxes? Not for me, unfortunately. I do wish we could chat longer. And that's it for episode 62 of the HD Movie Podcast. As always, thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode and would like to follow us on social media, we are on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at HD Movie Podcast. Next, episode 63. And it was a long time since we did the last Listener's Choice episode. So we cast the net out wide again for another Listener's Choice. But this time we decided that the film had to be animation because we hadn't covered one before. So we had some very eclectic suggestions. I was expecting a lot of generic Disney, but no, everyone pulled it out of the bag and gave us some really interesting choices. So I'd be happy with any of these films. And what we're going to do now is we are going to pick a number out of a hat and that number will be the winning choice. But before we do that, Darren is just going to list through the awesome suggestions we received and the lovely people behind them who um, kindly suggested some movies for us. So in no particular order, so we won't give away which order they are on my list, some of the suggestions we received were Star Chaser, The Legend of Orin, which was from Darren Mafucci. Charlie Brigden suggested that all-time classic and child traumatiser Watership Down. Phil Berlin suggested Titan A.E., Chris Scalp's suggestion was Mary and Max. Bruno's Trumpet from Twitter, or it's Bruno's Strumpet, who knows, did Flight of the Dragons. Uh, Janie Roberts picked Fantasia. And our good friends over at I Spit on Your Grades picked Raggedy Ann and Andy, which I saw a very brief snippet of the trailer and I thought, that looks absolutely fucking bizarre. So I wonder <laughs> if we're going to pick that one. So, Hayley, it's down to you to pick the number. Which one are you going to go for? Okay, so I'll be very happy with any of these. The only movie I have seen on that list so far is Fantasia. So I'm up for any sort of strange, obscure animations. So the number I'm going to choose, what's it going to be? Drum roll. I'm going to choose number four. Number four. And it looks like the planets have aligned here. Because number four happens to be Watership Down. Well done, Charlie Brigden. And I think my wife suggested this as well. But Charlie, who is at Films on Wax on Twitter, your choice of Watership Down will be discussed on episode 63. So thank you for taking me back to that childhood trauma. Now, this is a movie that I avoided watching for 32 years. And now the time has come where I have to confront Watership Down. So I am very excited to a point to finally get to see it, I guess. But it's going to be an interesting discussion. So stay tuned. And thank you again for suggesting Watch It Down for us. Yeah, bloody hell, Charlie. Thanks very much. <laughs> so Watch It Down on episode 63. Let's see what we both think of it. Let's see if I can manage to process all of that previous trauma as well. Until then. Stay safe, everybody. We'll see you soon. The HD Movie Podcast is presented by Hayley Alice Roberts and Darren Gaskell. Its music is written and performed by Mitch Bay. You can find the episodes on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Samsung Podcasts, Amazon Music, Podchaser, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Player FM, Listen Notes and Podbeat.